Okay, well grab your, uh, your Bible or your device. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 and 3 here today. If you have your device, um, why don't you type in Ruth 2 and after it the letters NIV. And that's the translation that I read out of and we'll be working through that today. If you have your copy of the Bible... It's the eighth book of the Bible, and so if you, were, uh, if you found Deuteronomy, be Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. And week one, there were two widows. There were Ruth and Orpah, and they were on a road all with life-altering decisions to make, and where would their best chance for hope be? And Ruth believed that truth, true hope is always where God is. This is just the big truth that she ran into true hope is always where god is and it didn't make sense truthfully she was faced with a decision and other people that were around her to those people it didn't seem logical she was going where there was no provision she was going where there was no family but she went where god was And she said to her mother-in-law, where you go, Israel, I will go. Your people, the Jewish people, will be mine. Your God, Yahweh, will be my God. And she meant it. And true hope, she found, is always where God is. And then last week, Ruth showed us that when hope seems lost... You obey God. Ruth and Naomi showed up during barley harvest in Bethlehem, and she picked up leftovers in the field. And you wonder, how does she get this idea to pick up leftovers in the field? Well, it was from Leviticus 19, and basically there was provision set up in the Bible for people who were poor, for widows, and, and they were to go and pick up leftovers, what were called the gleanings in The fields and people that had much were supposed to leave the outer areas of the fields, leave those up for people that had little. Or they weren't supposed to pick up after they went through once, leave the rest there. And so when Ruth said, your God will be my God, she showed the reality that your God was going to be my God because She saw in Leviticus 19, the thing I'm supposed to do is show up to the field, pick up the leftovers, and that's what she did. So she went and she picked up leftovers. When hope seems lost, obey God, and that's exactly what she did. She obeyed God. She left the outcome up to God. She didn't try to manipulate the outcome, coerce the outcome She left the outcome up to God, and we began to see at the end of last week, maybe God was up to something. Maybe he was starting to work something out because it just so happened, the text said, just so happened she showed up to the field of a guy named Boaz. Just so happened at that time Boaz came back and started to greet The the workers in the field, at that very time that Ruth showed up, just so happened. What a coincidence. And so here we are, 
she showed us that when hope seems lost, what you do, you obey God. So this week, we're going to look on the account of Ruth, and we're going to discover our next truth, that when life's out of our control, trust God. When life's out of our control, trust God. So here we are in Ruth chapter 2 and Ruth chapter 3. Last week, we left Ruth coming back from the field. She had six gallons of grain, which was an immense amount, more than what typically people would bring back from gleaning, about three times the amount. Naomi was blown away. You have how much grain? Where in the world did you go? Well, let's pick that up in chapter 2, starting at verse 19. And I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter here, Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 19, and I'll read down through verse 23. And then we're going to do a pretty quick overview of chapter 3 and into chapter 4. And then we're going to move through some interesting understandings of the text. So here we go, starting in verse 19. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him. Because in someone else's field, you, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So here, the big expose happens. And Ruth and Naomi go back and forth. Where did you go? I went to Boaz. Boom! You were at Boaz's field. Unbelievable. He's a relative. He's a, as we'll find out in a moment, a kinsman redeemer. He's a close relative. And this was such a, a, a shock to Naomi. And so this kinsman redeemer individual was legally positioned to purchase the land or estate and even marry the spouse of the deceased relative. And what was lost by death, the land, the possessions, the marriage, could be redeemed by this near relative coming in and redeeming or buying back or recovering all that was lost. And so Naomi was just, her mind just started flooding You've got to be kidding me. And I'm sure she had it all mapped out, as women normally do at this situation. Okay, Boaz, 
can take all the land. He can marry Ruth. This is how the whole thing's going to work out. I'm sure she had the wedding planned. She had the flowers picked out. She had the whole thing worked out. Just bam, right like that. She had it all figured out. This was going to be amazing. And this is what the kinsman redeemer could do. So after a period of time, Naomi devised a plan for Ruth to broach the idea with Boaz. She went into his workplace where he was sleeping one night. And this is kind of a unique thing, which you find out if you read through chapter 3. She went in there. It was his workplace. It was a threshing floor for the barley. And he had fallen asleep. And so it was a really unique scenario. But there he was with the blanket over him, with the sheet over him. And all that she did is, is she uncovered his feet. And then she stood at the base of where he was. And, and it may seem really odd, but truthfully, this would have worked perfect for me because I can't stand sleeping with my feet uncovered. But we digress. And, and it worked, and he ended up being startled, and he woke up, and here he sees Ruth and begins dialogue. Who are you? And she says, I'm, I'm Ruth. And she says, spread your garment over me because you are my kinsman redeemer. And instantly, he begins to make this conversation and he says, you are correct. I am your kinsman redeemer. Now, of particular interest Boaz already knew he was a kinsman redeemer. This is unique. Can I show you some of this here for a moment? If you're in chapter 3, I want to show you a few different things. He mentions, um, she mentions, I'm your servant Ruth, verse 9. Spread the corn of your garment over me since you are the guardian redeemer of our family Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed um, than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Verse 11, and now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know you're a woman of noble character. Although it's true I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. He said, no one must know a woman came to the threshing floor. But then he said, bring me the shawl you're wearing, hold it out. And when she did, he poured in it six measures of barley, placed the bundle on her, and then he went back to town, and Ruth took that back to her mother-in-law. This is really interesting. I don't know if you caught this. Ruth went to him and said, you're my guardian redeemer. You know what he said? This is in the middle of the night. And this tells us something really special. He says, I know. And there's someone 
more closely related than me. And I'm ready to take you as my wife if he doesn't. Now what does this tell you? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Either he's really interested in Ruth, or he just happened to do a research project on Ancestry.com. Are you catching this? He's interested in her. He was pre-interested in her. He was prepared to be kinsman redeemer the second he was woken up by her in verse 11. He already knew he was the kinsman. He already knew the relationship. And then the very third thing in verse 13, if he wasn't willing, the first kinsman, if that first kinsman wasn't willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I'm committed. I'm going to do this. He was ready. He was going to move in. Now this is completely a side note. But I want to talk to everyone who especially is looking for a relationship right now. I want to point out something in this text that is so vital for our attention. If you're looking for a relationship, if you're in a relationship and you're thinking about marriage, anything like that, I want you to catch this, would you? Do you realize if this were something for a modern-day movie, what Hollywood would do with this specific event right here? She went to the threshing floor, and there he is asleep, and then she says, I want you to be my kinsman redeemer. What would happen with this kind of event? What would happen with the sensuality here? How would this thing work out? What would they do to make this thing more appealing? What would they do in this type of a situation? And I think we know exactly what would happen in this event. But I want to point out the very same theme as last week. When hope seems lost, obey God, because everything through their relationship, there was absolutely no compromise. You note that? He notes exactly all the people of my town know you're a woman of noble character. There was no sexual compromise. No one must know a woman came to the threshing floor. You know, we do not want to even compromise our testimony in any way. Then he even says, hey, here's six measures of barley. It never hurts to butter up the future mother-in-law. Amen? But folks going in a relationship, in a relationship, you don't need to disobey God to make it work. And in fact, we screw it up when we step away from God. 
And Ruth and Boaz did it right. They stayed right. They trusted God. They didn't force their own thing. And Ruth went back to Naomi and and told her everything that had happened. And Boaz had to make things right with the first potential kinsman redeemer. There was someone more closely in line who could redeem the land and Ruth before Boaz. And so Boaz goes into town. This is chapter 4. Boaz goes to the town gate and he pulls together 10 elders and then he goes to this first in line and he pulls him in and he says, here's the deal. Naomi is, is selling the land that belongs to Elimelech. Would you like to buy it? And he says, I sure would. I would love to buy the land. And then he says, if you buy the land, you also get the lady, Ruth, as your wife. And then he said, oh boy, that's a problem because I have, I have an inheritance. I have, it looks like, a family. And this could really mess everything up if I get her in and his family joined with this I don't think that's going to work. And he said, you know what, Boaz, you take it. And so here's how transactions happened back then. Instead of lawyers, he took his sandal off. This actually is sounding better as we go, doesn't it? And he took his sandal off, and he said, you know what, this signifies the land of Elimelech and Ruth, the widow of Malon. And these will now be Boaz's, who will be taking them upon himself. And Boaz stood up in front of everyone and said, you know what? I'm now taking upon myself the land of Elimelech And Ruth is going to be my wife. There were ten elders, all men. And you want to know what? That was the wedding. That was it. Ten men. bride wasn't even there. It was about five minutes. Some of you men are thinking, that sounds great. Instead of the unity sands or the unity candle, there was the unity sandal. We could get used to this. And Boaz walked out, and the people said, may God bless your wife as he blessed Leah and Rachel with an offspring, and little did they know, little did they know what that was going to mean. 
And I know it sounds simple. An easy turn of the story. Isn't that just beautiful how everything turned around? But you know, we didn't get here so easily. Because today's theme is when life's out of our control, trust God. When life's out of our control, trust God. And there was a point in time in this account that life was out of their control. And in fact, it was so far out of their control, it would be called turmoil. It was anguish. And in fact, I I just need to show you where it was at the very pinnacle of turmoil for Naomi In chapter 1, when she was coming home, you need to see this. Verses 19 and 20. There was a point, it was turmoil. And this is where she went from out of control. But she learned the lesson of trusting God a little bit later. So the two women... Naomi and Ruth were coming back to Bethlehem from Moab. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And here's Naomi, what she said. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Now notice verse 21. This is critical. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? And here's the critical wording. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And here's here's what we need to understand. Naomi had a change of heart, but it didn't start the way it ended. Naomi went from turmoil to trust. Naomi was bitter She was questioning, she was angry, she blamed God. And she didn't just blame the activity, and here's the big thing. She didn't just blame the activity. Because we can say, God, why? And and I know we understand God is in control. And truthfully, that's a good thing because who else do you want to be in control? Do you really want to be in control of everything? I mean, don't take offense, but I don't want you to be in control of everything. You probably don't want me to be in control of everything. I don't think we want our government to be in control of everything. God's in control of everything. So the activity of God being in control is not an issue here. But what was an issue for Naomi was she misrepresented his character. I want to give you some support verses about 
God being in control, here's the reality of his control. There's four verses I just want to show you that solidify this reality. Psalm 115.3, our God is in heaven, the text says. He does whatever pleases him. It's just the truth. God doesn't need our permission to do anything. Proverbs 16, 9, in their hearts, humans plan their course. But the Lord establishes their steps. We may think we have our plans, we have our calendar. God has his calendar. Guess which one wins? Job 42, 2 is the acknowledgement, I know that you, God, can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And you may say, well, yeah, but these are all believers. Well, let me give you the, the testimony of an unbeliever, King Nebuchadnezzar. And here's his testimony. He says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. Notice his words. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is in control. This is, God is sovereign. And that's a good thing. But where Naomi screwed up is not that he's sovereign. She screwed up in his character. And this is the word in my translation. She said, the Lord has afflicted. In the Hebrew, she says, the Lord has done wickedly. The Lord has done evil. The Lord intends to harm me. She says, it's not merely that he's in control, but he did wrong. God screwed up. God, you have forgotten. You have neglected. You were mean. You mistreated me. And she says, so don't call me pleasant. You call me bitter because you know what? That's what God did. And before we get too hard on Naomi, sometimes we may need to take a look at ourselves sometimes because there have been some times that <clears throat> things I've said haven't been far from what Naomi said. And sometimes I think <clears throat> if life is going good, God's good. Amen? And if life is going bad, 
what then? Sometimes I've looked at it kind of like the, um, the daisy of God, you know. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And, and it's this, his love for me is equivalent to my, to my circumstances. Before we bash on Naomi too much, I've thought that about God. Probably, if I've thought that about God, and you're as normal as I am, we've been there. God, you've changed. Because my circumstances have changed, you've changed. You've forgotten me. You've neglected me. You don't care about me. You're mistreating me. You're unfair to me. You're mean to me. We were there 22 years ago. I remember on October 30th when my wife's dad passed away at 56. I do remember thinking... God, where are you? What in the world are you thinking? This is a total screw-up. Can I just be truthful? There have been times over the last two years with my home not selling in New York that I'm like, okay, God, <laughs> what are you doing and you're not being fair I remember a day it was five years ago Christmas Eve um, we had a yellow lab that was um, hit and killed outside of our home on Christmas Eve and um, I remember picking her up and putting her in the back of our little ATV and driving her up on top of the hill and digging the hole in the ground <clears throat> and having a conversation with God. And while my shovel's going in the dirt, there were some things I was talking with God about that probably sounded a little bit like Naomi. love me you love me not and it's all based upon our circumstances God if it's good you love me if it's not you don't love me I'm blessed you love me I'm not blessed you're neglecting me you don't love me Naomi went from turmoil to trust. I want to show you the leap, and I want to show you where it all changed. 
Remember I told you we had an extra minute and a half in there? I lied. I lied. I'm sorry. But God loves you. Verse 18 of chapter 3. When all of this was turning around, when Naomi began to see the plan, and she says to Ruth, go in, go to Boaz, expose that he's the kinsman redeemer. And then she's like, you know, okay, this is what's happening. He's going back to the first guy. And I don't know what's going to happen. And here in verse 18, Naomi says, you know what? Wait, just wait. Like this is a mother-in-law saying just wait. It's all going to work out. Don't worry about it. Like, this guy is going to make things happen. You just wait. And that's what she says in verse 18. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Here's Naomi like, total trust. Hey, this thing is taken care of. I'm not worried about it one She went from total turmoil in chapter 1 to this thing is covered. We're all set. And you wondered, how in the world did she go from turmoil to trust? And I'm going to show you the very moment it happened. It's spectacular. How did she go when life was out of her control to trust God? What changed in her heart? Why should we trust God when life is out of our control? And I'm going to give you two reasons, and with this we finish up. Why should we trust God when life's out of our control? Trust God. Why? And these were the big revelations for her. In chapter 2, in verse 20, when Ruth came back from the field... And she told Naomi, hey, I was in Boaz's field. This is the big revelation. This is the big aha God moment for Naomi. Naomi says in verse 20, the Lord bless him. The Lord bless Boaz. And then he, as in the Lord, has not stopped. And if you have a pen, if you have anything, those are the words to underline. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. It it hit her. In chapter 1, she says, you know what, God, you're doing me dirty You love me, you love me not. My circumstances are up, you love me. They're down, you don't love me. In fact, you're doing me dirty is what you're doing. And in chapter 2, verse 20, she says, God, you've not stopped. You've never stopped. You never stopped loving me. And this is the biggie. Why should we trust God when life is out of control? 
And this is the big thing that hit her. It's because our circumstances do not change God, ever. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Our circumstances don't change him. There's a big theological word. I'm just going to give this to you on the side. His unchanging character is called his immutability. It's called his immutability. The text says he's never withdrawn. He never forsook her. She understood it. He never left. He never failed. He never abandoned. He he was never departing her. He never neglected. He never deserted her. He was always kind. And the word for him, never stopping showing his kindness, it's kased. It is this idea, your loving kindness was always there. Your faithful, loyal love was always there. Even when my circumstances tanked, she said, God, your love never ever changed one bit she said it was there for the living your loyal love is going to be there for me for Ruth and it's even there for Malon Kilian Elimelech she could see it she just saw the whole thing unfold she says you're even going to carry on the name of my husband and my two boys you love even my ones who died. And it shows your love never, ever fails. Like Gibraltar, the waves of our circumstances can crash and beat against God. He does not move. His character does not move. His love, his grace, his forgiveness, his goodness is forever immovable, unbendable, it is immutable, it will never flinch with any circumstance we face. Folks, that is the God that we love, that we serve, that we worship. You can know that anything you go through, no matter how difficult it is, it does not change who God is. It almost makes a church want to say amen or something like that. It's true. James 1.16 reveals the reality. We can be deceived. And he comes right out and says, do not be deceived, folks. Don't be tricked, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows? He doesn't change. Our circumstances don't change, and, and Naomi figured it out. She was fooled for a little while. You know what? I'm not trusting you, God. I think you're doing me dirty. And then it unfolded, and she said, wow, you never stopped. You had it all figured out. I trust you. My circumstances don't change you. You never fail. Here's number two. And praise God for this. Our failures don't change him. Our circumstances do not change him. Our failures do not change him. 
Oh, isn't this good news, folks? The pinnacle of Ruth is that God rescues and redeems those who are lost. That's the whole concept of the kinsman redeemer, and we're going to launch into it next week when we get back together. And he's there to take in and redeem the lost. And we think it's just Ruth, Naomi had failed. She had called God and his activity toward her wicked and evil. And even through his failure, he still rescued and redeemed and bought her back too. Now, it's a good thing we're not God. Because, you know, if that were us, you know, sometimes it's like, man, I've got a good plan for you. And then you heard that they said something bad about you. It's like, well, I had a good plan for you until you went and did that. Kind of like the soup Nazi, you know, no soup for you. Thankfully, God's not like that. Our failures don't change God. That's why He came in the first place, because of our failures. So here's Naomi, tells God off. You did me dirty. Guess what? He still loved her. Because his love never stops. And he stuck with his plan of redemption because his love never stops. And he bought her back because his love never stops. And we call that grace. That's how awesome God is. He came here to redeem the lost. And our failures don't stop him. They only reinforce his reason for coming. Your circumstances don't change him. Folks, your failures don't scare God. Nothing will stop him. And your failures don't change him. Here's what I want you to think about taking with you today. Don't confuse your circumstances with God. Don't think it's a, he loves me, he loves me not. No, 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 no. No, he loves me. He loves you. Sure, he may discipline you, but he loves you. That never, ever changes. And we worship and enjoy his presence, even in the tough times. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is always there. He will never neglect you. 
And you can trust someone who never changes. And so express confidence in him. No, he doesn't change. He never, ever will adjust. He never has to because he's perfect. And so when life is out of our control, trust God. Trust God for your situation. Trust God for your eternity. Know that Jesus Christ came to earth to die on the cross for you, for your sin. Trust in Jesus for your eternity and for your present. Would you stand with me for a moment? Would you close your eyes? God's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our confidence. And when life is out of our control, there's no one better to put our confidence in than Him. He's unmovable. He's unbending. He's unchanging. He'll never stop showing his kindness, his loyal love to you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your situation. And Father, I ask God for your presence, for your unchanging character to be sensed and experienced in the lives of my friends here today. God, I pray that they would understand and experience your loyal love that never changes, it never gives up, it cannot be improved, it will never be diminished. It is never altered by our circumstances. It will never, ever be adjusted by our failures. Thank you for being God, almighty, unchangeable, unmovable we give you our lives we give you our hearts God we give you our souls we give you our minds we give you our circumstances we give you our futures we give you everything that we are in Jesus name